is where we have an ongoing discussion on biblical topics and questions as we journey on our quest for truth. And we do believe there is absolute truth. Whose source is God, our creator? Which is why you'll hear us all during the show quite often default to what the revealed word, the scriptures has to say about it. I want to first mention that, a um, little housekeeping here, that our podcast audience is really growing. And, I, and I'm glad for those of you who come tuning in or downloading the podcast on the recorded shows that you're doing that through this medium. With that said, though, you can't view our closing screen, which has all of our contact information on it. So I want to let you know that you can email any one of us, any one of the panelists, uh, by just using our first name, whether it be Drew, Scott, Jeff, or Stephen, BibleQuest.tv. Now, every one of you that are in our live audience, the viewing audience, that uh, you can participate in the discussion, and we want you to ask questions or make comments anytime during the show. You do that by clicking on the Q&A button. By the way, I mentioned it last week. This is new, so I want to mention it again. Um, if you're watching through the Zoom app, we now have the new feature where you can actually ask your questions, make your comments using your phone, um, your computer audio. Uh, that, yeah, that's right. You can converse in real time with the panelists using your audio, if you so choose, just like other talk radio shows, right? Um, but your video won't show, so don't be intimidated by the video. By video. Um, so, but if you do want to talk, just click the the hand icon, you'll see a hand icon somewhere on that video screen. Just click that, and that tells us you're interested in coming on live using audio. Of course, you can still use your questions and comments and text boxes and things like that. With that said, let me get into our panelists. Our panelists are Scott from Gettysburg. How you doing, Scott? There you are. I was muted and off audio. Now I'm unmuted and on. I'm doing fine. Okay. Stephen is also from Gettysburg. And Stephen, you want to mention something about your Facebook uh, attendees? Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's joining us through my Facebook live feed today. If you have any questions or comments as we go through the show today, as always, just leave those in the comments below and we'll get to them as quick as we can. Great. And also we have Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing great. And we have Noah is our webcast engineer helping out with your questions and comments. Hi, Noah. Glad you're with us. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for your help. And I'm Drew DeGrado, your host from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the show today. So we're still talking about morality. Where did it originate? And Scott, I'm going to turn it over to you because you've been having some dialogue back and forth and fill us in. Yeah, I've been enjoying corresponding with an atheist uh, as a result of a previous uh, question thrown out on the program. And we've been discussing back and forth, and I'm not going to go through all the emails and all the different points, but I wanted to just bring out a, a few things to update and then concentrate on three brief points. Uh, in our discussion, which uh, uh, I've found interesting and enjoyable, and as some atheists, not every, not all atheists are in the same boat. Some atheists say, no, there's no such thing as wrong. It's all just, no, this fellow, he believes there's things that are right and there's things that are wrong. Hey, Scott, Scott, wait a minute. Yes. Not all Christians are in the same boat. That is right. That's right. We are people that say that they're following Christ. Um, uh, we shouldn't paint with too broad a brush. You know, there's some people that they hear the word Christian and they want to say we were all in the crusades going in and killing, you know, the, uh, the people in the crusades. 
Uh, not all atheists believe the same thing. But in our discussion, here's some things that we've uh, been, been in agreement on and been able to establish. One, mora- that there are things that are right and wrong, and morality is not reducible to Darwinian evolution. It's not reducible to survival of the fittest. That there is such a thing as right and wrong. Now, he doesn't see a need to go to the Bible for uh, right and wrong, because he's an atheist. Uh, but he, he gave an interesting uh, scenario question where he asked about how would you deal with a child who has stolen $5 off his friend, off another boy's desk at school while the boy wasn't looking. And he proposed uh, using empathy of doing it like this. And there's a lot of merit in this. But he so said, you ask the child where he got it. He says he took it off this boy's desk while he wasn't looking. And then he recommended asking the following questions. You know, how would it make you feel if someone stole $5 from you? What if he had worked really hard to earn that money? You know, you know how hard you have to work to earn money for chores. You know, what if he had to work hard like that? And so by using empathy, helping the child to see that he was wrong, and and he said what what the child should do, he should be made to earn the money back, work and earn the money back, pay it to the fellow, apologize to the fellow, and tell him why he realizes what he did was wrong. And I think there's just a lot to commend in there. And, of course, we see some principles that are very clear in the Bible in there as well. For instance, um, what did Jesus have? There's something Jesus said to say about this that relates to it very well. What verse am I thinking of? The golden rule? Yeah. Do unto others. As they, you want them to do to you. Yeah. And part of that is learning to put ourselves in, in their position. How did Nathan get David to see what David did was wrong? Oh, that's, go ahead, Jeff. Well, yeah. He, he described David's sin in terms of somebody else having done this in such a way that David could see the implications of the grievous, the, agree, the egregious nature of his actions by seeing it in somebody else, whereas he might not have been willing to see it in himself. And yeah. he had empathy for the injured party when he saw they were injured by somebody else. Right. And so that's, that's, a, that's an important principle. It's an important principle in the Bible, and it's an important principle that people who are not Christians can see as well. Our problem as human beings is we have not always operated with that principle. We've all done things that are selfish and wrong, and maybe tried to justify it in ourselves until we see it more when it's out there than in us. But um, I, I posed some questions back to him. I said, those are great answers. But I said, what if when you say to the child, you know, how would it make you feel if somebody stole your five dollars? He said, oh, that would make me sad. But he didn't feel sad. He had some money there. He didn't know how much money was there. So he didn't even he didn't even know it was missing. So it didn't make him sad. So it doesn't matter. Victimless crime. (laughs) Dad now thinks, well, well, but what if he worked really hard for it? And the son says, oh, yeah, but but he didn't. I mean, if he'd worked really hard for it, I wouldn't have stolen it. But it was his birthday. Some of the other kids had put money in a card. He had just opened the card. He hadn't worked for it. He didn't know how much was there. So it, it, it didn't hurt him. B didn't work for it. Dad scratches his head. He says, well, it, but you, you need to have empathy. Instead of being selfish, you should be empathetic. He said, oh, I was. See, there's another boy in my class that doesn't have enough money for lunch some days. 
And this guy with the money, he's a rich boy. So there's a rich boy and a poor boy. So because I had empathy, while the rich boy was looking the other way, money he had not worked for, money he didn't even know he had, I just slipped that out and I gave it to the poor boy. So what I did was empathy. It's the Robin Hood effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, so am I going to tell my son, well done, you could be the next scholar. <laughs> no, uh, it's, I'm going to go through and, of course, you know, point out, if you wanted to help the poor boy, you should have done it with what? His own, own money. Yeah, his There's... own money. And, in fact, Ephesians 4 says, let him that stole steal. Yeah. This is Ephesians 4.28, by the way. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands so that he might what? Have something to share with the one who's in need. Yeah, yeah. So what is it that makes stealing wrong even when I can't see that anybody is particularly hurt by it? Yeah. In fact, it actually benefits somebody else who I'm getting So we went through and we talked about this some, and he and I agreed that you still need to teach the son, you know, that that's wrong. And I went through, I used a number of biblical passages to help illustrate the point. The parable of the Good Samaritan, you're not just good to one kind of person. You also need to be good to this kind of person, et cetera. We don't, and here's an important question there, and it's what you're getting at. So I agree, you know, if my son stole that $5, I agree that's wrong, and I need to teach my son that's wrong. Here's uh, uh, an atheist, and he agrees that's wrong, and I need to teach my son that's wrong. So I'm a believer. I say that's wrong. I need to teach my son. He's an atheist. He agrees that's wrong. He needs to teach his son. But guess what? There's some, suppose it was two other people having this conversation. Are there some atheists who would say, yeah, that's not wrong. In fact, there is no wrong. You let it go. And are there some believers that would say, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, take from the rich. Give. Yeah. So why, why is it wrong? If it's, is it wrong for my son and his son? Because we believe it's wrong. But in these other two families, because the dad doesn't believe it wrong, now it's not wrong? No, it's still what? Wrong which goes to point that wrongness is above and beyond us. Mm -hmm. Or it needs to be. Otherwise you have no basis on which to accuse other people of doing what you perceive to be wrong. And that's really the the bottom line is how far out do you stretch this? If, if it's only cultural and relative. Yeah. What if there's a society that thinks it's okay to, you know, yeah. pedophilia or raping or whatever, you know, I mean, you could fill in the blank, Yeah. but um, I don't think we really want to live in a world where all morality is reducible to the social construct. Yeah. Right. Because then if you get a really powerful people who say, we're going to eat you, you know, <laughs> uh, they, uh, well, and this goes back to our, the question that we talked about last week. With Mike makes right. Did, did one of aliens, you guys, that come in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that sounded familiar. I haven't been with you guys the last week or two, but I think I caught just a couple of minutes of the webcast a week or two ago. Did somebody say something about aliens coming and eating us? Yeah. Yeah. Suppose they're a superior species. Can they come and just brand us and corral us and, and, and eat us cause we're tasty. Uh, and my, my, uh, uh, 
atheist correspondent, uh, agreed, no, that is not okay. You know, <laughs> um, he said, because we are sentient. Uh, and, um, uh, but, you know, the other advanced civilization might decide we're not sentient enough <laughs> and we are tasty. <laughs> uh, here's a couple other points before we move on to something else, too. Um, and this is important. And in our discussion, we pointed out that morality is not limited just to those people that are believers or just the people that have read the Ten Commandments. And one way to illustrate that, for instance, when it's before, well, let me put it this way. Paul addresses this in Romans 2, doesn't he? He talked about the sins of the Jews and the sins of the Gentiles. Jewish people had received prophetic revelation, and they were responsible to prophetic revelation. The Gentiles hadn't received that but they were subject to natural revelation. Romans chapter one, verse 20 talks about that by looking at what is created, you can see the power of the creator. And then there's a text in Romans two, where Paul says what about those that had not had the law. Romans chapter two, starting in verse 14, Romans two fourteen, it says for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, These, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So something being wrong is not limited to, oh, because the Bible said it's wrong. Because everything's wrong before the Bible was written. And, and, and Gentiles who didn't have the Bible, there were still things that were wrong. And and people, go ahead, Jeff. To underscore that that idea of the universality of right and wrong, not just to people who have the New Testament scriptures, not just to Jews who have the Old Testament scriptures or the Law of Moses. Uh, you've got this passage in Romans chapter two. You also have, uh, for instance, back in Leviticus the eighteenth chapter, where there are various laws concerning sexual conduct right. that given. And, and the gist of it is the Israelites are being told not to do these things. And then the point is made, don't defile yourselves with these things. The peoples who lived in the land that you're going to inhabit, the land of Canaan, they did these things. And for that reason, they are being driven out. The point is God held the Gentiles, the pagans, the people populated the land of Canaan before the Israelites. God held them accountable, morally accountable. And you back up in the previous chapter and there are instructions about not eating blood. The life is in the blood. And that goes all the way back to Genesis, the ninth chapter after the flood, when Noah and his sons and their families come out of the ark and God gives them permission to eat flesh, but he says, don't eat the blood for the life is in the blood. And that's to the forefathers of everybody who's on the earth today. And so we see there were God's law, not just the law of Moses, but God's law has ruled over man universally. I'll just add one quick comment here in that passage in Romans 2, 14. I'm not crazy about the translation instinctively, which, which translation is that? Uh, today know. I have the New American Standard New is what I was reading, and it has a uh, footnote there on the word instinctively that says literally it's by nature. By yeah. nature. 
And by nature may mean something that is inherent within an individual from birth, but by nature can also and is in the Bible used to talk about things that have just been well-known and customarily accepted. Uh, but the point is God has communicated his will to man, uh, not only in the scriptures, but he is not only in the old, te- well, let me put it this way, not only in the law of Moses and in the gospel, but we see evidence that God has revealed certain uh, behaviors as being right and certain behaviors as being wrong universally to man from the beginning. And, and he certainly made clear that he exists to all mankind and that all mankind has a responsibility to seek him as in Romans chapter one and verses 18 through 20. A third point uh, for leaving this is I wanted to point out, I think it's interesting to look at both what Jesus said in Matthew seven twelve and what Confucius said hundreds of years earlier. Steve, go ahead. Real quick, before we leave that point, um, there is a question from our audience. Uh, Natalie asks, this brings up a question I've always had. If the Gentiles did not have the law of God, were they held to a different standard from the Jews? Yes. Things that were sin for the Jews. Okay. For the Gentiles. Go ahead, Jeff. Yes and no. Uh, Yes. uh, When you, when you look at how the old Testament talks about, uh, how those before the cross and the forbearance of God during the time of the passing over of sins, uh, how those people are going to be justified, it's by faith. And that's whether they're Jew or Gentile. And that's the same way we're going to be justified today. It's by faith, putting our trust in God. What God has revealed to man has varied with one people or another. He revealed some things to the Israelites that he did not reveal to other people. But whatever he has revealed to people and held them accountable for, they could put their trust in God, that's faith, and submit their will to his. Um, so to some extent, yes, there are various standards that are different. Pagans were not required to observe the Passover. Pagans were not required to keep the Sabbath day holy. Right. But they were required to uh, submit their will to God, to not eat blood, uh, some of the sexual sins. We don't have a record of when God revealed to them certain things were wrong, but clearly God held them accountable for those things. But Jeff, you're talking no. about, that, in that case there, Jeff, you're talking about Gentiles who were converted to Christ. No, no. No, no, no. Gentiles oh. before it. Melchizedek. Did Melchizedek need to keep the Passover? No. No. But he was a priest of God most high. All right, but what, no, the point I was getting to is that is there a rule somewhere out there for Gentiles to not eat blood? Yes. Where? Genesis chapter 9. No, 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 no. I'm talking about outside. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So it's before the law of Moses. This is to Noah and his family. And then, of course, they're the forefathers of everybody. And in Genesis, the ninth chapter, I believe it's verse 4, maybe verse 3. Let me check it real quickly here. Uh, God gives them permission to eat animals. But he says in verse 4, only you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, that is, its blood. And then he goes on to say he's going to hold man accountable for that. And then we get to Leviticus uh, 17, and he stipulates to the Israelites, again, don't eat blood. And we get to chapter 18, and he talks about how the Canaanites were guilty of some of these things, and therefore they're being punished. By the way, it's uh, when you've got the disagreement in the first century where some of the Jewish brethren were thinking Gentiles needed to be circumcised, keep the Jewish calendar, etc., uh, James and the others at Jerusalem, right? They say, no, 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 don't commit fornication. Right. Don't be involved in idolatry, eating blood, those kind of things, but these other things you don't need to do. 
Let me. Wanna, I don't want to interrupt your next point, though. But I want to dialogue forth here with Jeff a little bit. So the the non person that believed in God, the the the, the, the non person. Yeah, right. The, <laughs> this is non, I tell you what, this is a non person who believes in God. We, we don't deal with non persons. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the person that uh, uh, back in the day of uh, Noah, prior to that, you know. Um, didn't they also, wouldn't you say that they had a rule not to murder and kill? Yes. in Genesis. We, but, but we know that how? Well, I know it from Genesis. I know that they had that from Genesis chapter 9. Okay. From, from four, four. Cain kills Abel. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes. Cain kills Abel and God right. did not approve. <laughs> but that's where we as Christians accept that we see God is always giving us the, the instruction for moral law. But look at the other side of the fence from their point of view. Okay. From, from whose point of view? The one that's out there that doesn't have the moral law from God, but does have this natural law within them. Where did that come from? Well, he's a descendant of people to whom God spoke and revealed those things. He's a descendant of not only Abel or Seth or somebody, but he's a descendant of Noah. And so all mankind, all mankind has in its history this knowledge that that's wrong. Okay, so there's, that, so there's that, that point that, that my great great grandfather passed it down to my great grandfather. He passed it down to my grandfather. He passed it down to me. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. Let's say we're in. Oh, pick a country. Pick a continent. Africa. Africa. Okay. Africa, okay. So you're in Africa, uh, 500 BC. Okay. Um, I come over to your tent, Drew, and I steal your goat, and I eat your goat. Do you think I'm a good guy or a bad guy? Was it a good goat or a bad goat? <laughs> no, it's This is a good goat. Okay, I steal your. I, I I I rape your wife. I burn down your hut. I take your goat and eat it for supper. You're a bad guy. I'm a good guy or a bad guy? Bad, 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 bad guy. We're all in agreement. You don't have the Ten Commandments. You still know I'm a bad guy. Okay? Now, so people around the world have been able to tell, that's a bad guy. Uh, let me bring it uh, up to date a little bit, okay? Uh, you look on Craigslist. You're looking for a car. You see this car. It says, great engine, you know, clean interior. You go, you check out the car, and it's, it's, it says, oh, yeah, heart doesn't burn any oil. Oh, man, you say, yeah. And you give them, you know, $4,000 for this car. You take it home. The next day, it's a little bit chilly. You try to put the car in reverse, and it starts slipping and grinding, and you realize it has a bad transmission. On a warm day, it works, but on a cold day, it wasn't. What do you think about the guy that sold you the car? He's a crook. No, he's a crook. He's a good guy? Bad guy. guy. But watch this. I've got a car, and the transmission is going. And I think, oh, I don't want to get stuck with a transmission bill. I must stick it on Craigslist. And you show up, and I sell you a bill. Now, I don't lie to you. I don't say, oh, it's got a great transmission. No, instead, I'll just say, oh, engine runs great, gets good gas mileage. Take as is. Take as is. Did I guarantee I had a good transmission? No, it's a used car. I can make all sorts of excuses 
to make myself feel good about dumping, you know, this, this lousy car on you. But when it happens to us, we realize that was crooked. That was unfair. That was a dishonest. That's not a good guy. One of our problems is we, by nature, are, are capable of empathy and can recognize good. But there's another part of us that tends to do what? We're also capable of being selfish and yes. we look at things from my perspective rather than from somebody yes. else. Yes, exactly. Which is think the root it. of sin. Yeah. Which yeah, when you think about it, the whole concept of doing the lust of man versus the will of God, the whole concept of the works of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit, of just doing what my desires are is selfishness. Sin boils down to selfishness, really, I think we can say. And when we are selfish, we are not able to, we don't think about it from somebody else's perspective. Yeah, if I'm a mobster and I've collected all this, you know, funds from extortion, theft, you know, burglary, prostitution, whatever, and you come in and steal my stash, you're a bad guy. <laughs> you know, you need to be, in other words, man has had a tendency all along to not like the sin that they see in other people, but justifying it in themselves. So morality is, the capability of morality is kind of a useful thing, uh, I mean, universal thing, uh, that people are capable of doing, but violating that has also been a use of universal thing. That's the problem that solution Christ brings. Uh, go ahead, Steve. We just had another question come in from uh, the Zoom app. Doug asks, we should not, or comments, uh, we should not dismiss the fact that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then they realized that they were naked and certainly they knew a lot more about what is right and wrong. So that knowledge might've been programmed into the following generations. Hence, there might be a kind of instinct at play here. So let me speak to that because I'm the one who questioned the translation uh, using the word instinct in Romans 2.14. So the idea here, just to, to be clear, is whether we have an innate, that is from birth, understanding of right and wrong uh, that is being referred to in Romans 2.14. I'm not I'm not convinced that's what Paul means in Romans 2.14 when he says by nature or by instinct. Doug is, is, uh, is proposing the possibility that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that point, God built into them, if I understand his, his meaning, at that point, God built into them and to all of their progeny, all of mankind for the future, something that would be innate, an instinctive ability to know good and evil to some degree. Uh, I don't think Doug is saying that instinctively you're going to know every single thing that's right and every single thing that's right. wrong, but a basic morality. My take on, on the, and I may be wrong, but my take on the knowledge of good and evil is this. Uh, to have knowledge of something is to have experience of something. Have you ever known hunger? Uh, somebody who has been uh, lost in the wilderness and with no food for 20 days has, has probably known hunger. Uh, there are children in Ethiopia who have known hunger. Um, to know good and evil is to have experienced it. In some sense, God knew good and evil. He certainly knew good, and apparently he had known evil in the sense that, well, if, if there's the devil and he's evil, God's aware of that. There are angels that have rebelled at some point. Adam and Eve had never known evil. All they had known was good. 
if they rebel against God and eat this tree, eat the fruit of this tree, because it's what they want to do, contrary to what God wants them to do, now they will know not only good, but also evil. They will have had experience with both. Satan made knowing good and evil sound like a desirable thing. He put it to them that God knows good and evil, and you'll be like God, and made it sound like it's desirable to know good and evil. Eve bit, literally and figuratively, and uh, so then they ended up knowing good and evil. Um, so that's that's my take on on that expression for what it's worth. Okay, and if you grow up in this present evil world, we grow up and we see both good and evil. Steve, we, yeah, but, but hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to interrupt. I think everyone, and I'm sure everyone realizes that yeah, there's good and there's evil. How do we know that if there's no God? How could we, on our own, come to the conclusion that something is good and evil without an objective authoring author? Well, Stephen's got his finger up. I'll just reel in a half sentence say quickly. At, at first, all we know is I don't like it, and so that makes it evil. We learn something more, hopefully, later on. Stephen, go ahead. Uh, well, this ties into a question that we got uh, just a couple minutes ago. Uh, Natalie says, that's always something I bring up when I'm talking to non-believers. I ask them where our morality comes from. There's no way for them to explain it. I've heard a few arguments, but none of them explain the unseen difference between us and, say, a dog. Now, I'm going to take exception to that. I think there's a visible difference between maybe Steve and you and a dog. I don't know about Scott and a dog, but <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> guys, guys, that's my point. We we can go back and forth on the benefits and good and the benefit of the, 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 the negative on evil. But who's going to determine what is good? You got to let me ask this question. Is there an objective wrong out there? Is there something that we all know is wrong? Yes. Well, how do you know that if there's no right? You're assume, then I have to make the assumption then on your there, there is such a thing as right and wrong above me. That's the point. That I'm doesn't to mean to. that I'm not capable of knowing something's right and wrong, but it's it's still above me. For example, let's go back to our illustration in this country 500 years before Christ. When you steal and eat my goat, I understand that what you did was wrong. I might have stolen somebody else's goat, but I understand that you shouldn't have stolen my goat. Uh, we can know what wrong is, but the fact that there is that we're acknowledging it's wrong. It's not just that I don't like it because, you know, I might not like it that it rains today. That doesn't mean that rain is wrong. I, I like one of the comment from one of our viewers that just came in. One of our viewers says, so then without a single standard, it would seem that a moral standard is left up to each individual and can vary with the perspective of each. Right. The mouse thinks the cat is evil, but the cat thinks the mouse is dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it just depends on how you look at it. What does cheese think of the mouse? <laughs> There's a philosophical that's, question. That's a non-person. But now you're <laughs> right. oh, Thank you. I knew I'd get one of those non-persons in here. But that's the point I'm trying to get to, which started the question many weeks ago. Yeah, and if, like in, in the case, in, in my discussion with, with the atheist here, as we're talking morals, he agrees that's wrong. I agree that's wrong. But you can find two other people discussing that question, and they would say, well, it's not wrong. 
it, does that mean so for us it's wrong, but for him it's not wrong? Well, if it, it's just yeah. up to us, then if you decide it's not wrong, who's to say it's wrong? Yeah. If it is wrong, then wrong is above and beyond us. That's the, the bottom line, in my opinion. Let me get to this uh, third point I was going to make. And yeah, that is, I'm interrupting you. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, good, good discussion. Uh, this both illustrates that mankind is capable of seeing good and doing good, uh, even though man has universally also done evil. And it, but it also it illustrates the benefit in the teachings of Christ. So, for example, uh, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't cite one of the Ten Commandments saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is, of course, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, beginning. That's Matthew 22, verse 34, beginning. What was Jesus' answer? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. And then he went to the second one. From Deuteronomy 6, 4. And he says, uh, Which gives a vertical responsibility before God. Then Jesus added a second commandment. He yeah. said the second greatest commandment is what? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Yeah, from Leviticus. So there's a vertical responsibility of submission to God, to, to put God first, and a vertical responsibility of your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said the law and the prophets hangs on this. Do unto others which you would have them do unto you. Hundreds of years before this, in Confucius Analytics or something, 15, I looked it up the other day, I don't remember the thing exactly, I can pull it up if someone would like to see it. A fellow says to Confucius, something along the line, similar to the question, you know, what's the one best rule or whatever? And Confucius said, don't do to other people which you wouldn't want them to do to you or which you would find displeasurable or whatever. Which so don't do to others gets you want people to do to you. What's that? Which almost gets there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really, really good. It's close. Do to other people which you wouldn't want them to do to you. Paul, in, in Romans 13, he said all these rules, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, it's all summed up if you just love your neighbor as yourself because love doesn't do evil to his neighbor. So it's great. Don't do, if, if you go by Confucius's rule, you're not going to steal from somebody. You're not going to kill somebody. Excellent rule. And he didn't need the Ten Commandments emailed to him or the Sermon on the Mount to him to, to realize that that was good. However, there is something better yet in Jesus's words. What's the difference between Confucius's golden rule and Jesus's golden rule? Confucius is stated in the negative. Jesus is stated in the positive. Do unto other people what you want them to do unto you. If I'm the rich man dressed in purple every day, uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, Confucius's rule would tell me not to go rob Lazarus laying at my gate, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't want Lazarus to rob me, so I'm not going to rob Lazarus. Jesus's rule says what? Help Lazarus out. Yeah, yeah, do to him. In fact, we could even think about the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You got the robbers. These are, these are the people in Proverbs 1 that have banded together. Let's go do evil and lie and wait for blood, and we'll, we'll share the plunder. Okay, 
do these guys, are they trying to follow the Ten Commandments? Don't kill, don't steal. No. They're not trying to, and they've broken one and they've halfway broken another one because they leave them half dead. All right, now comes the priest and the Levite, Leviticus chapter 10. They see him lying there, and what do they do? Cross the street. Yeah. Did they covet his goods? No, it didn't seem like it. Did they steal his stuff? No. Did they kill him? No. But if you or I were laying on the road half dead after being robbed, what would we want someone to do for us? Help us. And the Samaritan, who was despised by the Jews, what does the Samaritan do? He helps them beyond measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a final thing I want to throw out, and then I'm going to be quiet and see what you guys have to say, is another way that Jesus' teaching goes. So we've talked about that man, by nature, can understand, he stole from me. He's a bad guy and ought to figure out, oh, I shouldn't steal from him, lest that would make me a bad guy. Confucius could, could say, very well, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want to do to them. And that's great. But there's value in the teachings of Jesus that take us above and beyond what we might generally be motivated by empathy. Because at the end of Matthew 5, Jesus said, you've been told, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your your enemies. Yeah. If you're good to people that are good to you, if you're nice to the people that are like you, that's not enough. You need to be good to your enemies. That's not something that comes very natural. That's about as far from natural selection as you can get, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I just want to go back real quick. I kind of made a joke when Natalie, uh, one of our viewers, made a reference to the unseen difference between us and, say, a dog. And, and I, I don't want to confuse the point that she was making. She was making the point that there is some difference other than just the visible difference between dogs and people. There's something about us that makes us morally uh, responsible for our actions. And, and she was getting at that difference. Uh, and I think that, you know, really most people recognize that. You really can't hold a dog morally culpable for I- its actions. You may you may have to punish a dog because you want to train it, its behavior to do this rather than to do that. But who, who would say, um, you know, we should have trials for dogs or, <laughs> you know. The dog wouldn't understand it. <laughs> now, which doesn't mean you can't have a mean dog or a kind dog because th- there are such. But, yeah, where it's uh, – now, Scott, you had brought up empathy, and in fact, I think Jeff did too just now, but what if you and I agreed on the same, we had the same empathy for something? Does the fact that you and I agree upon it and recognize no. that's good, does that make, is that what makes it good? No, you and I, you and I, Drew, might have a mutual best friend who... Uh, just went into Las Vegas and killed a bunch of people or went into a church on Texas and killed a bunch of people. And he may be our best friend. And while everybody else is looking at what he did and while everybody else is recognizing the wrong that needs to be addressed, you and I may be saying, but that's my friend and I don't want him to go to jail. I empathize with my friend. He, he, he made a mistake. He, 
maybe he is med, he, uh, but we can't bring those other people back. I, and we're going to help our friend get out of the country. Well, we're having empathy. So empathy. And we're both having empathy, but it doesn't make it right. So empathy in and of itself is not the standard. Yeah, yeah. He needs to take responsibility for it. He's a, like going back to the earlier illustration, the child that stole the $5. Yeah. Needed to be held accountable for that and take responsibility for that. And the fellow that went in and, and, and slaughters these people needs to be held accountable. So maybe let me say it a different way. Rather than saying empathy itself is not standard, empathy alone is not an adequate standard. Stephen. We had just had, uh, to this point, uh, Mike had commented a few minutes ago, it says God has the standard. If we go against God's standard, then we sin. Yeah. And that's really what, what we're talking about is when you, when you go all the way down, there has to be something above ourselves that is the standard of morality that's able I'm gonna to play, I'm gonna play the opposite side. right and wrong. I'm going to play the opposite side here, though I agree with you. Why does there have to be? It's not that there has to be, but there is. And I think what Stephen is saying, of course, is if there is not a standard above us, then, then we're really left with anarchy. We're left with every man does what is right in his own eyes. Well, and, and so, okay, if there is no God, that's where we are. But how many, even amongst the atheists, I'm sure there are some, but how many amongst the atheists uh, believe in a world where that is acceptable? Everybody just does what he thinks is right, practically speaking. I know some people who theoretically say that, but practically speaking, they don't want other people to do everything other people think is right because I'm going to suffer for it in some cases. Yeah, if I'm talking to a guy on the street and we're having a philosophical discussion on this and he says, no, there's no such thing as wrong. Everybody, you know, if I suddenly grab his wallet and start to walk away, I suspect that he's not going to be okay with that. It sounds pretty good when you're the cat, but not when you're the mouse. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, there are always going to be cats and mice. Yeah. Uh, and Hitler was a cat. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's right. And the, the, coming back to this thing, God has a standard. So if our creator communicates to us, do not do this. Thou shalt not steal. And, and sets examples for us and calls us out of that and offers us grace in that. We have communication from God, even though you can have wrong, like we said, it was wrong for the Gentiles to do evil, even though they had not received the law of Moses, going again back to Romans 2. So while wrong predated the law of Moses and predated the Bible and predated uh, Jesus Christ. You have the message there, the instruction. Uh, for instance, when the father says to the child, that's wrong. You don't steal from people. It didn't become wrong at that moment. It was wrong before, but now the father has communicated clearly to the child. Our father has communicated to us and he's offered also offered us grace in that. Just to, just to, we're coming down to the end of the program here, and just to talk a little bit about what happens when we abandon the idea of an absolute right or wrong, and we rely upon human beings to kind of figure out some kind of morality that doesn't come from anything other than our own experience. You think of what's gone on over the last uh, 
50 years, 100 years. It used to be, in fact, 15 years ago, people now who, who say homosexuality is perfectly fine, then they were saying it was immoral, and now all of a sudden it's moral. It's uh, you have, right now. have the, 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 the Playboy lifestyle that was celebrated a few years ago, and now Harvey Weinstein is going to be indicted, it sounds like, the news is today, and good. everybody's saying, yeah, good, but, but you know, some of the same people who are saying good were celebrating the free sex lifestyle. And this just, man bounces from one extreme to the other because he can't figure out what's right and wrong. On his own. On his own. And we are suffering from the consequences of children being taught. There's no real right and wrong. It's all relative. It's all cultural. And in fact, in many cases, just not being taught. Yeah. The parents are not there. The, the, the parents, uh, 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 they, they create a pregnancy. They abandon. They, they don't spend time with the child. They, they don't stay with the mother. They, and, and a lot of children aren't even being raised. And, and what they are hearing is that there are, is no God. There are uh, no absolutes. And, you know, don't judge. And we've got a society now that's reaping consequences of, of, of just a lack of morals. Uh, there's another comment that come in. I know we're getting, we just hit the past the time mark, but Stephen, why don't you address it? But before you do, I just wanted to leave our screen up for anybody who wants to contact us. We have our email addresses and our phone numbers there. We're open. Give us a call or email us. And if you're on the podcast, obviously you can't see that screen. Um, use our first names, either Scott, Jeff, Stephen, or Drew, at BibleQuest.org, and you can email us directly. But, uh, Stephen, you want to go ahead and uh, read that comment? Sure. A question or comment has come in from Joshua, and I think we've touched on this already earlier in the program. He may just be joining us here at the end. Uh, He says, curious, just because we believe in absolute truth and a higher standard, does that mean we are left to anarchy if we felt we had no special revelation to reveal it? In other words, do, um, do we not have an internal moral sense given by God that is of some value, even if we can't compare it to the objective standard? So, for instance, have the moral efforts of people outside the influence of Judeo-Christian standards been utterly worthless and essentially anarchy? Or just when people choose to, quote, do what is right in their own eyes? And really, we covered this back when we touched on Romans chapter 2. Um, and even in, in, yeah, and in Scott's comments with this discussion with the atheist, um, no, uh, certainly it's good when people realize that there are things that are right and wrong and hold to their conscience. It doesn't make that the absolute standard, but those are good things. That doesn't mean that is anarchy. I think the question we're trying to make here at the end is if we object, if you reject an absolute moral standard, when you really get down to it and you try to control people, Hopefully they're controlling themselves, but when you have to control people, there really is no basis on which to do so. It's just a might makes right, dog eat dog kind of a world if there's no absolute standard of right and wrong. Yeah. And fortunately, it, and, and we're, we're very pleased that there are people who have seen the difference between right and wrong outside of that influence, whether it was the, the example we gave of 500 years before Christ in a different continent, or uh, um, when, when someone who's not a believer today is teaching their children that they should not steal. That's a good thing. 
uh, the Bible has more that they need to find out from their creator, but there is good and there is evil. Guys, I want to, I'm sorry, Stephen, you want to say one more? I was just turning things over to you, Drew. Go ahead. Yeah. So I want to just say thank you guys for your uh, input, your comments and uh, discussion. Thank you everyone in the audience who has participated by giving in their questions and comments. I'm sure this question will not go away. There'll be more discussion. We have other questions that we want to address next week. I'm sure you, if you can tune in next week, we'll have more. And uh, we really appreciate, I appreciate everybody coming in. Guys, I want to thank you very much. Thank you, Drew. We'll look forward to seeing everybody Tuesday at 2 Eastern. And thanks, everyone, for their comments and questions. We appreciate uh, involvement in the program. Thank you.